0: To the cloud pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode
1: forty-two, recorded on October thirteenth, twenty nineteen. You had one job while I was away. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm back from vacation.
0: Ah, the slave driver returns. <laughs> the slave driver
1: returns. I I did notice that uh, I left on episode forty-one, and I've now returned on episode forty-two, which means. You you failed exactly as I I predicted you would do. At you the did. End of the show. We
0: we just we just didn't want to. We didn't want you to miss out. That's all it is.
1: Yeah, I know. But now that now we have a mammoth show that you're going to edit, and so it's all on okay. you. That's okay.
2: <laughs> that's
0: good.
1: Yeah. Well, we were
2: did schedule. We scheduled twice. It just never happened.
1: Yeah, it just never happened. It happens. Yeah. I understand completely. Uh, so, what were you guys up to the last two weeks? You guys been busy? Always. So uh, did, did I miss anything fun, you guys, uh, over the last two weeks?
0: You did. You did. I uh, noticed your YouTube video interview with AWS from your trip to the serverless. Was it like a dev conference or something? I saw that video post. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was there for a tech evangelist conference as a, you know, just kind of a panel speaker um, for part of that. But then after that, I did the recording and it's this fireside chat uh, with the serverless people, Ben Kehoe and... Um, phil potloff the director of enterprise strategy at aws uh and so yeah it's just me talking about um our serverless journey at my day job uh so yeah you can you can learn all about that on, on the uh, aws youtube channel and i'll link to it in the show notes but yeah uh, they did publish it several weeks after they said they were going to uh but uh yeah it's out there and it's uh, i haven't watched it personally but i did hear from you jonathan that you thought it wasn't too bad
0: yeah yeah it was pretty good what was your favorite part my favorite part? Um, yeah. Oh, God. These on-the-spot questions. <laughs>
2: uh, it's fine. You get edit out the uh, the
1: awkward pause. I
0: don't know if I had a favorite part. It was just a chat about There's no service. gotcha. There's no gotcha you see how, line. You see how I
1: struggled to find something nice to say about me? Did you see that? Uh, <laughs> actually, no, I thought, thought you did a really good job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I I haven't watched it yet. My wife watched it. Uh, other people have watched it. They said it was really good. And I just... I. Seeing myself on video is just too much. So I'm, I'm back on a diet after seeing at least the, the screenshots. I was like, back on back on the keto diet, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so that is so that is happening in my life this week. Uh, the other thing that uh, came out I saw while I was out was our, our guest uh, visit on the Roaring Elephant uh, podcast dropped uh, episode 161 and apparently 162 or 163. That's a two-parter, uh, but Peter and you and I, you know, we all joined uh, John and uh other gentlemen to talk about cloud and how we see the cloud and in, in the world today, and it's good. It's good interview. Um, I haven't listened to that either yet because I'm just back from vacation. But I, uh, Jonathan, you said you did listen to it.
0: So. I did. Yeah, it's 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 weird listening back to something like that a few weeks after we recorded it, I was like oh really that's actually quite interesting oh that was me <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that happens to me every week on the podcast I'm listening to it I'm like wait wait Jonathan said that, that in the show that's, that's really good insight I, did, I didn't know I actually think you're just editing them in at during post you're like oh I have a really good thought and you just edited it in it's
0: I haven't, like, done, that yet, I haven't Cheater. done that yet I, will, I might do
1: Let's move on to this massive (laughs) amount of news here, and we'll get back on track uh, next week, guys, Uh, back on normal podcasting schedule. Uh, First up, in general news, uh, Oracle has launched their FedRAMP-authorized government cloud region. Uh, They've achieved FedRAMP-medium authorization, uh, and this allows them to basically sell to a large number of government agencies. Uh, This is uh, in two of their regions uh, globally, are now... FedRAMP compliant, and the Oracle Cloud for Government is optimized around Oracle databases with REC and Exadata options, as well as a new autonomous database services and key features for data-intensive workloads.
0: I told you they were just going to sandbag and keep suing somebody until they got their cloud up to to spec for Jedi. (laughs) Yeah, that seems what they're trying to do.
2: (laughs) Cue in the Halfway There song.
0: (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that's about all I got to say about that. Really, I mean, good for them. Uh,
1: you guys remember a few? I think it was about a couple of months back. Actually, back in April, May timeframe, uh, Oracle laid off about uh, you know two thousand employees in their cloud business, uh, and apparently, reports this week are they're adding two thousand jobs into their cloud business to help build out uh, the twenty new data centers they announced at OCI and the Oracle Open World conference a couple weeks ago. Uh, apparently, you know this is only. 18,000 of their entire 136,000 uh, employee workforce, which is mostly lawyers, uh, <laughs> includes about 2,000 new employees uh, into the cloud business. And this will be most likely driving their data center expansion needs and continued development to catch up with AWS and uh, Azure. I would
0: love to see how long it's going to take them to fill those recs, because let, let's face it, that's 2,000 recs they're going to open, not, not 2,000 people they're going to hire. Right.
1: Well, they're uh, they're hiring them in Seattle, so that way they can hopefully entice people away from both Amazon and uh, Azure with large, large paychecks and bonuses. Yeah. That's their their go to model. Uh, that's I, that's that's also where they laid off everybody in April, May too. So they have a <laughs> lot
2: of So crazy. Don't you think it'd be cheaper to just train people on doing something different?
1: It just clearly shows how how disjointed their strategy is for cloud, and they have no idea what they're doing, and they are just flailing trying to get any relevance in the space. Uh, Well, AWS is facing a lawsuit uh, from Elasticsearch uh, for trademark infringement. Um, They have sued uh, AWS for the use of Elasticsearch for the open distro for Elasticsearch, which they released uh, in combination with AWS, Netflix, and Expedia um, several months ago. Uh, And they say here in the complaint, Due to Amazon's misleading use of the Elasticsearch mark, consumers of search and analytic software are at least likely to be confused as to whether Elastic sponsors or approves Amazon Elasticsearch service and Open Distro. The complaint states. Uh, Amazon's misle- misleading use of Elasticsearch also misrepresents the nature, characteristics, or qualities of AESS because, on information and belief, disable certain functionality available from Elastic's Elasticsearch product and includes software code not offered by Elastic in any Elasticsearch product. The complaint states. Amazon uses the Elasticsearch mark, therefore constitutes false advertising. Yeah, so that's a that's the interesting salvo from the the world of ElasticSearch and AWS and open source. The,
2: mm. uh, yeah, I was the pretty surprised when Amazon came out and used ElasticSearch in the name. It seems so much easier to just avoid it, but uh, I was I'm not and I'm not surprised that this is the outcome.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised either. I think we talked about this on the show actually that um, using Open distro yeah. for Elasticsearch yeah. was kind of a dirty, dirty It move, was,
0: but but uh, if you if consortium. you make a derivative work from an open source product, you you're kind of obliged to reference the original documentation. So the fine line between copyright and and trademark. But I'm sure the word Elasticsearch appears all over that repository, which is open source. So to you know, to, to claim that they're that they're using it um, illegally, I think is is probably not something they're going
1: to win. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean if if they do win uh then you know we continue to have things like maria db which right. no one knows are tied to my and if they if they lose maybe we can get right it's not on my yeah. oracle sequel <laughs> instead of uh, maria db so you know i definitely think there's a uh, there's interesting ramifications one way or the other but uh I definitely think it'll be an interesting case to follow in court and see if they uh, end up anywhere. They are asking for an injunction uh, on this right now from Amazon to stop distributing open distro for Elasticsearch while this court case goes through. I don't think they'll win that. Um, or if they do, that'll just be, you know, Amazon has to rename it temporarily.
0: It'll be um, Amazon search with Elasticsearch compatibility. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, and I I wonder if Mongo is coming very soon uh, to also sue them for Document DB <laughs> uh, with MongoDB compatibility. <laughs> you think they maybe they should have teamed up? They're both you know they're both open source companies that are pretty small. Yeah,
0: really. Yeah, there's no, they're, no they're mention of Elastic suing Netflix or any of the other partners in the project though. So it's well, they didn't advertise it.
1: I think it's because they didn't advertise it and they didn't they didn't yeah. announce it and they didn't yeah. put it on their blog. So I think that's that's what happens. Uh, Well, moving on, uh, let's talk about Ansible. Uh, So there was a recent uh, analysis by John Fuhrer of the the Cube uh, and Silicon Angle uh, talking about Ansible holding the pole position for automation, uh, and he asked the question, is it too good and too small, though? Uh, He says, automation is going to grow into a highly competitive, highly relevant, and lucrative marketplace for companies, and Ansible is in the pole position to capture that for Red Hat. Uh, They actually have proof points. The community is demonstrating that the process can be more efficient, the technology works, and people are transforming with this technology at the Ansible Fest. Uh, in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, what do you guys think about Ansible? I'm not uh, a huge, huge fan of it because I, I think you don't really need it. But uh, I know some people are really big fans of it.
0: Yeah, I'm not really. I mean, I think uh, as far as infrastructure automation goes, or infrastructure you know, orchestration goes, it was uh, it, it's nice to have like a a solution that works in a private data center or perhaps in the cloud, and it would on a common platform. Which Terraform is kind of trying to do the same thing. But as far as like online configuration management and tweaking things live. I don't know. I've never been a great fan of doing that kind of thing. I'd rather build a new thing, test it, and then switch over uh, so, so you've got a good failback path, but rather than tweaking stuff in production.
2: I can say that uh, I've been playing engineer at our uh, customers for the last five months or so, doing a ton of Ansible, and I found some amazingly fun ways to use Ansible to, uh, to create configurations. And you know for the most part it's not tweaking live boxes it's using it to automate the build of boxes but um, doing some super cool stuff around a much smaller set of configuration management code to manage that does lots of stuff like you know 150 lines of Ansible code that and YAML that uh, ends up generating 4,000 lines of uh, configuration code and the boxes needed for the type of software that's running on the box so I think it's super cool, and I think there's a like a million different uses for stuff like this. Um, not necessarily just making sure somebody didn't change your Apache config. Fair
1: point. I mean, it's not really designed to do drift detection or anything. Like That's not like a chef or a puppet uh, that'll you know reset a configuration back. it's a, a one time orchestration play, right? So I have you know several thousand nodes. I want to go change Apache to. Um, I can run Ansible to do that as one use case. I know, and then there's a couple others like you mentioned for uh, baking mm-hmm. images. Um, I actually think it's interesting from a security perspective, too, because you can use it to go search uh, you know, thousands of servers for a specific file that may be a vulnerability-related thing. Um, I think there are some benefits to it, but it, it I don't know that I agree with it as being this end-all, be-all configuration management tool. That's where I struggle with it. I think it has a lot of really great orchestration capabilities um, across mo- thousands of hosts or across network devices and such, but I struggle when people talk about it as a replacement for Chef or Puppet
0: would be my preference over chef to be honest because i think well i mean i think anyone's preference over chef right now
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i liked Uh, it over chef i because i did a bunch of ops work stuff in the past with chef and i i thought ansible uh was both more powerful and easier for me to grok yeah how it worked
1: but I mean, like uh, you do a lot of cloud formation, so I mean, how do you feel about Cloud init versus Ansible, or have you tried anything with Salt Stack? Because I, I particularly like Salt right now as well.
2: I haven't tried Salt; might be just as good, and I still would pick Terraform any day of the year to uh, handle my infrastructure automation. But for systems, I so far Ansible's my favorite.
1: Even over Cloud CloudInit?
2: Even over cloud Init. In fact, I run Ansible in my user data lots of time.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. definitely a pretty common use case. Result as well. Definitely has a, has a space, I'm just not as big on it yet. But I also, I also hate uh, Spinnaker, so I mean, I guess I'm just on the wrong side of that argument right now.
0: <laughs> so what, what, what's this being too good and too small? I mean, what's, what's, what's wrong with being too good? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think it's, I, I don't, yeah, I do not really quite understand that opinion either, but um, I think it's the fact that it's a, such a small portion of Red Hat's business, it really doesn't have any revenue, and so it's very open source driven, and I don't know if they just feel like it doesn't have the legs to really be adopted widespread in enterprise, I think that's what he's trying to
0: refer to, but, oh, well. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Or maybe if they charge 50k a year for it, then more people would pay for it.
1: <laughs> well, they do have they do have uh, an Ansible Enterprise offering called Ansible Tower, but uh, I think we looked at it one time and it was just worthless. So it didn't really do anything other than give you basic visualizations of what it does. You can't make any changes. You can't execute anything from the the tower.
0: Mm, so. I kind of get a feeling that the Systems Manager is is going to displace Ansible, especially in Amazon Cloud.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, but you know, Amazon Systems Manager this week uh, has uh, added the ability to execute complex uh, Ansible playbooks. Uh, Amazon SSM, of course, now supports that ability uh, directly from either GitHub or S3 through systems manager run commands or a state manager. Uh, And this is, uh, in my opinion, so much better than uh, SSM documents. (laughs) So I guess uh, maybe if I want to get really big into Ansible, or uh, SSM is my my pathway into it, and maybe I'll I'll become a convert here. Uh, Of course, this allows you to use your existing Ansible automations and to benefit you from the control and safety provided by SSM. Uh, you can execute a series of playbooks that are zipped uh, while controlling the execution velocity and responding to errors. And you can also use complex playbooks to manage and enforce the desired state of EC2 and on-premises instances, as, of course, SSM does work with on-premise boxes. Uh, any execution required that requires pre uh, dependencies uh, is pre-installed by State Manager, and is available for you in all commercial and GovCloud regions.
0: Excellent
2: that is awesome that you know i think that was one of the kind of um weaknesses and the one little pain with ansible was i don't want to run it centrally and have 22 open everywhere to do that and i don't you know you run it on if you're going to run it on a cron you're basically trying to turn it into into chef um but uh then you got to monitor the cron job and so i think it'd be super cool to have it uh running out of systems manager so i can't wait to try that (coughs)
0: Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the Cloud Pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, Visit www.fogops.io slash the www.fogops.io slash the Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered.
1: AWS DataSync has, has the ability now to use S3 storage classes uh, natively. So instead of using a DataSync to copy to an S3 bucket and then using a lifecycle policy, you can actually directly move into Glacier or into Deep Archive. Uh, it also now supports uh, replication to SMB, uh, and new regions support, VPC endpoint support, and FIPS 140-2 support for validated endpoints in the U.S. regions. Uh, and these are endpoints uh, terminate TLS sessions using the uh, TIPS one, FIPS 140-2 validated crypto software. Uh, then, of course, they also provide you some additional file and folder filtering capabilities and embedded CloudWatch metrics. So this is a pretty big update
0: to the DataSync product in general.
2: I haven't used it yet. Have you guys used DataSync?
0: Nope, I have not. No, I mean, is it just a, kind of a software version of Storage Gateway?
1: Uh, sort of. Storage Gateway still kind of maintains the data in a, in a weird state on S3, right, where this data sync actually copies, it synchronizes the data, and it's more kind of like Robocopy robo-copy, uh, but in the cloud, That's how I would look at it.
0: I'm not sure it warrants having its own service, really. Well, I mean, there's a
1: lot of things that Amazon has to question that about, so like, this is a whole service? I don't I don't understand that.
2: So. Yeah, it seems like they they could have squeezed it in as a feature of another service.
0: Yeah, you you mm. think they could.
2: Like DMS. It would be perfect for DMS.
1: Yeah, why well, can't just be a DMS, DMS
0: feature? I I, uh, I kinda of feel like it's it's just a way of charging for for data you would otherwise get for free. You know, you don't normally pay for data ingressing to the E C two the cloud <laughs> and so if you use the data sync service then now you start paying per gigabyte for the data that you're you're copying up there so that's kind yeah. of they
1: could, could still use the dms acronym too because instead of database migration service it's been data migration service mm. and they could have covered both use cases
0: yeah that's kind of sneaky
1: yeah a little bit well if you're a, a small and medium-sized company and you're looking for uh, help with your aws uh, services amazon has a new offering for you Uh, This is the new AWS IQ service. Uh, This is a marketplace to allow you to get connected to certified third-party experts uh, on demand. Uh, This is ideally targeted, of course, like I said, for small and medium companies, but you can uh, use it if you're a larger enterprise as well. Uh, You can engage with a certified expert on a single project uh, or multiple projects, and you can allow them access to your uh, AWS account through IAM controls, grants, and audits. Uh, all through the AWS IQ console, uh, and it also allows you to handle paying the experts as they reach uh, certain milestones in your project. Uh, so this is a nice little simple uh, project management outsourcing capability to allow you to simply uh, outsource some very common AWS tasks. So this is pretty nice. Uh, I actually signed up for this months ago because uh, I'm a certified DevOps engineer, and so they sent us an invite email to, this to go sign up for your profile and all that, uh, and so you can actually find me in the directory if you look for me.
2: Did, did, uh, can I, yeah. can but, uh, I buy you?
1: Uh, you know, no, you can't because I'm busy. But uh, I, won't <laughs> ac- I won't accept your bid. Uh, but you know, it's uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, I'm out there in the system, and uh, I, something. If you're certified, go sign up for it. If you're looking for freelance work, um, unlike me, and if you are looking for help, uh, but you don't want to go pay for a very large, uh, Accenture type company, uh, of course, call Foghorn first. Uh, but if that doesn't work for you, uh, then definitely check out AWS IQ.
0: Yeah, smooth.
2: <laughs> it's funny It just these products have been these marketplaces have been around for so long uh, it'll be interesting to see if it um, gets traction
1: I like the fact that you know versus something like Upwork who's been around forever um, that, you know it's integrated into IAM it's integrated into the billing system so you don't have to you know you don't have to set up a new relationship with Upwork or anything like that just for the simple case um, but of course if you're a small medium business I assume you're doing a lot of work with Upwork uh, for other things like marketing and and logs and, and podcast editing, et cetera. So there's definitely things that you're doing probably already on Upwork. So I don't know how much it makes sense, but it's a good idea. To
0: yeah. I'm not sure if it's good for the people who are doing the work, though, because it, it's, you create a marketplace like this, and, and all of a sudden it pushes the uh, you know your income down significantly.
1: Or maybe it makes it go up because you have to be certified to be on this, and so you can potentially charge a premium rate.
0: Okay, maybe we will find out. We'll see.
1: <laughs> we'll see, we'll see.
2: I wonder if there will be numbers out there for us to compare. I wonder if they'll publish anything.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I'd be curious to see uh, You know, if you can use them to augment your own project teams or something like that. Like, hey, I need this person who, who really understands Cloud HSM, for example, and I can go grab a guy on there and, and pay him uh, for a little bit of work. It'd yeah, be interesting to see. Especially with the, the wide number of services you can get with AWS now, it's hard to find people who know all of them. <laughs> like, I, I think if you yeah. ask any of us how to make Elemental work, uh, we would all say, I have no idea. <laughs> because I don't think any of us nice. used it. Uh, and so that's uh, definitely something that you might want to get expert help for. Uh, easy 2 has some new high memory instance classes for you. These are new bare metal instances available to you in 18 terabyte and 24 terabytes of memory configurations. Uh, these are ideally for SAP HANA workloads. Uh, and these are 8-socket instances powered by Cascade Lake-based Xeon processors running at 2.7 gigahertz. Available in U.S. East 1 only today, uh, but more regions coming very soon. Um, I did try to go find guys pricing, as I typically do when they do a new instance type, but the pricing is hidden. I cannot find it anywhere Oof. on the web. You know what, if, if <laughs> Which means that if you have to ask how much it costs, you <laughs> you, uh, you don't want to use it. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> or you afford, can't it. afford it. Uh, and I also have to say that I don't know how I feel about applications that require 24 terabytes of memory to perform. Uh, I don't know if I feel that is a uh, super strong uh, selling point for sap hana
0: yeah sort of reaching the the limits of scalability at that point really 25
2: i need 25 (laughs) 25 terabytes i mean
1: i want 128 gigs or terabytes 128 terabytes ram please that's what i need that's how i get my splunk systems to run yeah
2: yeah, just everything e E e-i-m everything in memory with a new
1: term exactly i bet i I could run oracle rack really good too yeah all right. Uh, Amazon EKS has officially announced Windows container support. Uh, as you guys all know, Kubernetes 1.14 uh, and above now officially support uh, Windows containers, and this is now available in Amazon EKS. I um, actually think this might have beat uh, Google Cloud <laughs> on supporting Windows natively in uh, GKE, but uh, I had to go check the dates on that or not. Uh, AMIs have been updated for this and can be queried via the parameter store, which we talked about previously, or specified in your CloudFormation code or Terraform code natively to deploy new uh, container runtimes that will support. Windows containers on EKS. So, if you're excited about Windows containers, like I am not, uh, you should go run out right and set this up immediately.
0: So, does this have to run on a, on a Windows host, like like Docker? Yes, does? it does. Okay. Yes, it does. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So
1: the, that AMI you would query for the parameter store is a Windows AMI. I mean,
0: like really, the interesting. The, the only reason for putting something in a Windows container is so I don't have to manage a Windows host, but now I'm still going to manage the host anyway. So yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, it's not really ideal for me either. Um, I, I still think .NET Core on Linux is the way to go. Obviously. Yeah, but
2: if you're stuck with some shrink wrap software that only runs on Windows, and all the rest of your workloads are on Kubernetes, uh, in I mean, containers... It's like,
1: if your application only runs on Windows, uh, how do you feel that the vendor is going to say it when you say, hey, I, you know, I containerized your app and put it onto EKS. Uh, I, you know, can I get support for that? They're going to tell you uh, no. <laughs> Cause they're, they're probably going to tell you
2: that. They're yeah, gonna they're,
1: no. yeah, they're probably going to say no.
2: But if it works, Who cares? Then you can get rid of all the other crap and just use your your same deployment pipelines, and all your guys can use the same tools. I think I mean like if you have that last five percent of stuff that you just can't get there. I don't know.
0: Do you, do you pay extra per Windows container, you know, for a licensing fee, or do you just pay
1: Ooh. to license the host? No, you license at the host level. Okay, so it's like
0: really screwed. ah, twenty-four
2: terabytes. Can I do a twenty-four terabyte memory host?
1: <laughs> Would you like to run your Windows container in 24 terabytes? It might actually run well. So yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean it'll still take you know 100 gigs of download just to get a container on your box, but you know, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so Windows containers don't do it if you can not help it. But uh, there are use cases like uh, Peter just mentioned. So those, if that's you, I'm sorry, but uh, this is now helps you out. Alright, moving on to uh, Google News. Uh, Cloud Build has brought advanced CI/CD capabilities to GitHub. Um, if you're using CI/CD as part of your dev environment, of course, so being able to configure and trigger builds based on repo events is essential to creating Git-based advanced CI/CD workflows and multi-environment rollouts. Uh, to continue to help you do this, uh, Google has released a Cloud Build GitHub app. Uh, This allows you to trigger builds on specific pull requests, branches, or tagging events. Uh, For example, only when a PR is created or a release tag is applied to a a repo. Uh, You can also trigger builds by which files have changed. So if you can ignore things like a readme file, um, and this is also really helpful for people doing mono repos in particular. Uh, You can also view build status directly in GitHub, and you can also now create and manage triggers automatically with a trigger.yaml file in your GitHub. So uh, that's a pretty nice enhancement if you're big in the Google Cloud uh, and trying to do uh, code building natively on uh, Google.
0: Yeah, not to be outdone by GitHub Actions, they uh, release this feature now. So,
1: well, I mean, this is the uh, native version versus cl- GitHub Actions, which is not. Yeah. So, it's a. Uh, I'm sure there is other tie-ins into things like GKE and other things that this is advantageous for you to use, that I did not cover. Yeah. Uh, Google has released uh, new AI-based recommenders. Uh, these allow you to optimize your Google Cloud environment. Uh, They use machine learning and AI to determine things like uh, IAM permissions and compute resource availability and so these are available for you today. Uh, New recommenders will be coming out in beta over the next few months, Uh, but these first two, uh, the IAM one will make sure your IAM permissions are not too permissive uh, and allow you to restrict them down using that machine learning code. And the compute will tell you that your instances are over provisioned uh, or under provisioned and you need to change the instance sizes. Uh, So these are nice uh, little tools to help you save money on Google.
0: Do, do you think this is really a, a a sensible use case for you know ai or machine learning i mean surely this is fairly deterministic you know if you if you have uh, enough spare compute and memory that you can scale down then scale down if you don't then you scale up and i, I don't i don't get why why what the value is of uh, of having you know the ai tag to this it's because it's marketing, t- Jonathan. Statistics. I mean statistics, yeah, statistics have been around for a long time, so
1: well, on the compute side, definitely statistics are your are your play and you don't really need AI there. And you, you probably don't really need machine learning there either. You just, you know, pattern and and some type of trending analysis uh, and future tense kind of uh, plotting would figure that out. The uh IAM one though might be a little more tricky because you're combining data from cloud you know, from cloud trail type logs, and I don't know what they're calling Google, but they're not cloud trail. Uh, but, you know, logs and, and different IAM permissions and, you know, you're looking at what is a, a role used over the last period of time and you need to determine that. So, I mean, there's definitely some parsing done, which would be maybe machine learning. But the AI part is a stretch. But everything in marketing today marks everything as AI and machine learning.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I, I strongly believe that you should know what permissions you need to give boxes. And if you need AI to do it, AI if AI can do it better than you can. Then maybe you should use the AI for now and think about the fact that you should change that as soon as you possibly can, so you know what you
1: need.
0: You need the real
2: eye. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, just AI.
1: <laughs> yeah, the other one I have a real big pep peeve with right now is uh, AI ops, uh, and it really is all these tools that basically allow you to uh, deduplicate uh, alerts, <laughs> and they do. I mean, they do some other things about too. It's, it's calling them short if you, that's all they do, but. Uh, you know, it's just one of these weird like. You're just adding AI to operations and monitoring tools, and it's just something that we've been doing for a long time in monitoring. You just you put a new fancy name on it. Yeah, it's a it's a trend. Uh, speaking of other uh, machine learning capabilities, uh, Google has released a new version of AutoML Vision Edge, their AutoML Video, and their Video Intelligence API. Uh, the new Auto ML Vision Edge can now detect objects uh, in this addition to the image classification previously released with this feature. Now, I'm not entirely sure how you did image classification without object detection, uh, but apparently you could, and so now you can do both, though. Uh, so if you want to know uh, for object detection uh, is a critical piece for your use case, um, such as identifying a piece of an outfit uh, in a picture, it can now do that for you. The AutoML video can now also track objects, including movement of multiple objects between frames. Uh, This is super helpful for apps that monitor traffic or sports analytics or robotic navigation. And then the Video Intelligence API can now offer pre-trained machine learning models that recognize things like logos uh, for over 100,000 different logos out there in the world. Uh, and many, many more things as well. So these are pretty nice improvements to ml uh, technology from Google if you're using those uh, and now you can detect objects
0: as as you can detect objects as long as you you don't want to use their service to make a competing product. so no uh, self-driving cars, no home automation, uh, you know no no uh, home security products, things like that. so it's like they're really the licensing terms for for these um, vision engines are really restrictive. really? Yeah.
1: Oh, interesting. I had I had not looked at them. Mm. Can I uh, can I use um, Google's Auto ML to uh, help my Deep Racer win at AWS? Is that is that allowed? You could try. I
0: mean, if if you actually ever get one delivered, uh, I heard someone
1: got one delivered recently. So.
0: Wow! Only only ten months after the pre-orders were open. That's, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, hmm. and just in time for Reinvent, right? So yeah. there you go. All right. Uh, moving on to other digital news. Uh, Google has extended Stackdriver logging across clouds and providers with a new bind plane integration. Uh, This allows you to connect your Stackdriver instances uh, to over uh, 150 different metric sources and a new partnership with Blue Medora to allow you to connect to your on-premises and other cloud providers. Um, Now you can have one centralized logging system and monitoring system to rule them all. uh, Nice. So you get the benefits of the stack driver technology, which is actually pretty nice. Uh, I actually really recommend it. I like it much better than CloudWatch. Um, but that is available to you uh, for use now on-premise and in other clouds. So if you're making the switch from AWS or Azure to Google uh, for some reason, uh, you can now use this to monitor both sides.
2: Excellent. Yeah, Google's, Google's uh, practicing what they preached as far as uh, enabling multi-cloud environments.
0: Only costs 50 cents a gig for logging only 50 cents per gig 50 cents a gig that's uh, that's uh, Splunk worthy
1: uh, it's, that's cheap compared to Splunk so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about there
2: still 10x 10x uh, CloudWatch logs but <laughs> yeah, cheap <still> compared
1: <laughs> to Splunk yeah. but can you send CloudWatch logs from on-premise is that a possibility well,
0: you could send CloudWatch logs from anywhere yeah but CloudWatch, CloudWatch mm-hmm. isn't um, a debugger or a tracer or a profiler or application oh, yeah it doesn't any. have anything else that it's, Stackdriver no, has no <laughs> yeah it's very, very bare bones.
2: Threshold, notification. That's mm-hmm. it.
0: Yep. And, and billing. Don't forget billing.
1: Right. Moving on to Azure. Uh, they have announced the new Azure Storage Explorer 1.10. Uh, this apparently in the press release has said that the Azure has released a new version. The latest version adds several exciting new features and delivers significant updates to existing functionality. These features will make users more efficient and productive when working with Azure Storage, Cosmos DB, uh, ADLS Gen 2, and managed disks. Uh, the new features include new user settings, ability to explore canonical snaps, and support for managed disks. Uh, so I guess if you are trying to make sense of all of that massive amounts of storage complexity that you have in Azure, this uh, will help you do that. And,
0: and what were the exciting ones?
1: Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, that was that was the I tried to emphasize my my wording there. Maybe it didn't come across. I, I mean, I did do the I did do the finger quotes when I said exciting, but you guys didn't see that. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Azure Sentinel General Availability uh, is now out there, a modern sim reimagined in the cloud. Uh, Azure Sentinel, of course, was announced uh, sometime last year as their sim offering uh, to compete with things like GuardDuty and Security Hub. Uh, And with the help of customers and partners and feedback from over 12,000 trials during the preview, they have brought the power of Azure and AI to enable SOC teams to achieve more. Uh, Features of the now GA product include the ability to collect and analyze nearly limitless volumes of security data, apply analytics, including machine learning to detect threats, expedite threat hunting, incident investigation and responses, uh, building on their expertise of Microsoft and community members with a Sentinel GitHub repo with over 400 detection, exploratory, and hunting tech queries, plus Azure notebook samples and Python libraries, and support for managed service providers and complex customer instances. Uh, Pay as you go for Sentinel at $2.60 per gigabyte, or you can commit to discounts in advance if you're gonna use this as your SIM solution, which I would recommend you do, because once you get this data, it's very helpful. So, uh, Azure beats out Google and uh, AWS to uh, Sim. Yeah, and it's a nice. uh, true Sim. And it's really pretty too. Oh yeah, uh, it's, it's very sexy. I, I still hope that AWS and uh, Google come out with competitive uh, things for this because it's it's really
0: sexy. I mean, if not, then then you know, potentially you could uh, ship your data off to to Azure to visualize and do, uh, do analytics on.
1: Yeah. Great. I can I can send all my cloud trail logs from uh, AWS, pay outbound traffic fees to Azure, to then process in their sim, that's great. <laughs> Forget <laughs> what you pay for. That's so pretty, it's so pretty. Uh, I, I love a good tool, it's a, it's a great tool. So, all right. uh, Windows Virtual Desktops are now generally available worldwide. Uh, <laughs> Windows Virtual Desktops is the only service that delivers simplified management, a multi-session Windows 10 experience, optimizations for Office 365, Pro Plus, and support for Windows Remote Desktop Services, apps, and desktops. Uh, It supports Windows 10, Windows Server, and Windows 7 desktop experiences with free extended security updates for up to three years on Windows 7. So if you are still struggling to get to Windows 10, uh, this will help you out uh, tremendously if you're trying to virtualize those instances. So overall, the uh, company that should have had VDI first uh, finally has it. Uh, Thank you Azure. <laughs> yep, and that's
0: we have to say about that, really. <laughs> How could that
2: take so long? That is incredible.
1: Well, I, I mean, I, they had it for a while because I knew Virtual Desktop existed, but I didn't realize it wasn't globally distributed yet, which is uh, brutal.
2: Yeah.
1: And then uh, there's also a Windows 10 multisession. I didn't know what that was either. But apparently they renamed uh, Windows Remote Desktop Protocol Service to Windows 10 multisession. So okay. Just obscurity through naming. That's how I see
0: And uh, I just mentioned that Windows 10 has been around for four and a half years at this point.
1: Is it four and a half years old? It is. I, yeah. Wow. Well, you
0: know. mid, mid 2015.
1: Wow. Well, I should really reform my Windows box someday because I think it's still running a preview vis- preview version of Windows 10. <laughs> 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 uh, well, <laughs> details. Uh, Microsoft and Pivotal are launching a new Azure Spring Cloud service. Uh, This is now available in preview to you. Uh, This makes it easier for developers to build microservices-based applications atop the Spring Boot framework. Uh, Azure Spring Cloud uh, in private preview allows you to have a fully managed and production-ready Azure Cloud service that can be used to build scalable microservices without worrying about the supporting information technology infrastructure. Uh, spring boot is of course a simplified version of the overall spring framework it also comes with kpac uh, which is a set of resource controllers for kubernetes and is fully integrated into kubernetes uh, service on Azure aks and also easily integrates into the Azure monitoring service uh, to give you insights onto the state of their application health and performance so there you go if you're using pivotal and you're a java shop on Azure, i'm sorry uh, but now you can make it easier on yourselves with this new managed infrastructure
2: i can't think of anything to say about spring
1: <laughs> you guys are you guys are shocked with amazement of Java yes. on, on yes. Azure. I see it. I see yes. it. I got it. I, I understand. Introducing the uh, preview of direct upload to Azure Managed Disks. Apparently, uh, if you're using Azure Managed Disks and you wanted to transfer a VHD uh, from your on-premises environments uh, to the storage uh, system on Azure, you had to either use a storage account uh, before converting it to a managed disk, or attach it to an empty uh, disk on a virtual machine and do a copy uh, between disk drives. Uh, both these methods, of course, are disadvantaged because they're stupid. Uh, and either from requiring you to provision more storage than needed or the increased cost for running a VM to do the data copy. Uh, and now Azure has given you basic functionality that you should have had all along. So there you go, you guys. Hey, and that Azure Storage Explorer we talked about earlier, this is one of those exciting features it now supports.
0: I mean, there you go. I don't know if you've ever built your own AMI from uploading a virtual disk on AWS. It's, it's pretty clunky.
1: I looked at it one time and I. Like, after step seven, I was like, oh, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I know you... <laughs> it's, not worth
0: my, it's not worth my time. You, you gave it to me to do. <laughs> I think I did, yeah.
2: yeah. It's great when you miss the fine print and you didn't do the one tiny little thing you're supposed to do, and then it doesn't work and you have to start all
0: over. Yeah, it's like you get to the end of the recipe when it's like, um, by the way, you should have preheated your oven to 500 degrees. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and this has to be in the oven within five minutes yeah, exactly. of finishing the mixing yeah, and you're yeah. like, no. The
0: souffle sinks or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Like, I, I really think they should abstract all this stuff away.
1: I mean, Azure clearly disagrees with you, Jonathan, because they have so many storage offerings to you now that they have a storage explorer to allow you to check them all out.
2: I'm sure someday we will look back at our podcast and laugh at how complicated everything was.
1: Uh, I hope that day doesn't come soon because we're having fun with the podcast. And If it's something, <laughs> we, we won't have to podcast anymore. Yeah, just
2: be something. There, there will be something else to talk about. There's always something to do.
1: All right. Uh, well, Peter, I want to take us to the lightning round.
2: Yeah. Oh my goodness, this is chock full. So we're gonna crank through this one. Starting with AWS Marketplace now supports paid container software on Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service, EKS.
1: Oh look, uh, Splunk is a container,
0: and the bills go with it. That's really cool. Actually, it'd be uh, be good to distribute your apps that way.
2: I want to sell something on it now. I'm yeah. getting excited again to sell something on. The Ooh, we're gonna sell
1: Peter something, some lightning round organizer container <laughs> for yeah. hundred dollars an hour.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. so you don't know what it is, but just buy it and spin it up, and you might. For- if I'm lucky, you might forget it's running
1: that that's the secret to many many uh, pay as you go models i think yeah. on amazon <laughs>
0: I, I really want the marketplace to support lambdas I and mean, i want to provide a lambda and let people invoke it rem- remotely and uh, and they pay me per invocation i just provide the service
2: there you go moving on a lot, uh, amazon elastic cash announces online configuration changes for all planned operations with the latest redis 5.0.5
1: but what about all the online configuration changes for unplanned operations? Those two?
2: Ooh, what does happen with those? Feature request. Amazon ECS supports automated draining for spot instances running ECS services.
0: It's a bad time. This should have been like day one feature. ECS is
1: clearly, clearly swirling the drain. So you know, I guess it just has to keep going <laughs> down this path of giving you
0: automated draining.
1: That's pretty good. <laughs>
0: Does it swirl the other way in australia.
2: <laughs> you know, it doesn't because they like they just bubble. It, it's the worst flushing toilet. That's the one thing I missed when I lived there, it's the a really good flushing toilet. I didn't know you lived there. Yeah, 2 years.
0: Oh, I was there for a year and a half, mate.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I never said never said never said good day. Never said mate. It was on Linux 2 AMI with .net core now includes mono. <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't know that Mono is something I want to get, but I'm glad you know Amazon Linux does. Don't share soda with it, though.
0: That's that's a very poor choice of name in hindsight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mono is always a really bad name, and then you know I, I didn't realize that Microsoft actually I think sued them or something, and then basically because they were a non nonprofit organization, they just bought them. You know, they just... Oh,
2: there you go. Azure Data Factory mapping data flows are now generally available.
1: I guess I want to map my data flow. I can do it now. Great. Excellent. in my data factory. Which is a lot of words put together that don't make any sense.
2: That's a lot of words put together because I can't. Even, you know, it's bad when you can't tell which one is supposed to be like the adjective and which one's supposed to be the verb. Who's yeah, acting yeah, on what? Yeah. It's like I don't know. Dude.
0: They must have hired somebody from the systems manager the session manager team.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes, clearly, clearly, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Customers can now provide keys with Azure Storage Service encryption.
1: Really? They they couldn't take a customer provided key until now. This this is crazy, to me that this is not a thing. Because this is one of those big uh, blockers for companies moving to the cloud in general. Is that you know if I can't control my encryption keys and I can't tr- you know I don't trust you, then how do I do this properly? And I can't believe they didn't have this. But yeah, well, good for them.
2: You'd think they needed it for Jedi, mm-hmm. but
1: <laughs> you you would have thought so. They just leave the keys under the doormat.
2: Nice. Now use private link endpoint policies to better control Amazon ECR access.
1: This is actually really nice. This is a good one. Um, you know, th- if you have an account that's doing multiple things and you have servers that shouldn't be accessing your containers, um, particularly web servers maybe, uh, that's a nice, uh, nice improvement. So glad to see this one come to first. Yeah, it reminds me
0: one of the things we talked about on the Roaring Elephant podcast was about, you know, containing the blast radius now that these services are internet-based, you know, API-driven services instead of in the data center. So that's... Um, it's good that they're, they're trying to take control of that risk again. The Amazon
2: RDS for Oracle supports user authentication with Kerberos and Microsoft Active Directory.
1: Did you know that uh, Amazon is a very large uh, Oracle customer? Still. Still, yeah. yeah. They're paying for Oracle right here. This is uh, They were on the slide
0: until Larry you know, cut them down the next slide. <laughs> That's crazy. I wonder when are we going to get to... Uh... It should with LarryDB, shouldn't they? Amazon RDS, LarryDB with Oracle compatibility. That'd right be on. pretty
2: good. DynamoDB Mapper now supports optimistic locking for Amazon DynamoDB transactional API calls.
0: For when your DynamoDB tables are half full.
2: Ooh. <laughs> oh goodness, that was perfect.
1: Is my is DynamoDB Mapper like Mongo Mapper? Is that is that is this literally a port of Mongo Mapper for Dynamo?
2: I, we're almost. It's almost SQL. It's great. We got transactions. <laughs> DynamoDB announces relational database tables
0: <laughs> with multiple <laughs> indexes versus the two that you can have now. Let's Great. let's face it; they probably do a better job than the SQL
1: Server.
2: Yeah. Uh, all right, AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now includes nine, nine new certificate templates. Announcing the latest release of AWS ThinkBox Deadline 10.1 with performance enhancements and ease of use improvements.
1: I was ThinkBoxing about this earlier, then I hit the deadline and I still do what the service is. Occasionally there's a service that uh, comes up in the news that I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. And this is one of those services.
2: There you go. Amazon Elastic Container Service now supports IntelliSense in Visual Studio Code.
1: Only Amazon would release a press release about autocomplete. Fantastic. <laughs> must have been a
0: slow news day that day.
2: Yep. You, know, uh, you can now queue purchases of EC2 RIs.
1: Oh, good! They finally learned about cron at AWS.
0: Do not forget to unsubscribe for the auto renewal. That three million dollar bill will be pretty shocking. Oopsie.
1: That's, that's quite the way to mess up your company. Your your former employer. You know, as you're leaving, you, you go set up a a queuing purchase, and then you leave, <laughs> and then you short the stock six months later.
2: Oh my goodness. <laughs> And then do not pass go, do not collect $200, straight to jail. (laughs) (laughs) AWS backup enhances SNS notifications to filter on job status.
0: Yes, who wanted to know whether their job completed or or failed?
1: I mean, I always love when, I always love when you get thousands of completed successfully e- emails because they're so helpful.
0: It's yeah. so hard to get that thing to fail though. Like you never get a failed email. Tried to try to simulate a failure. We've tried so hard to simulate like a snapshot failure or something. Never gonna happen. That's
2: weird because my my old backup scripts used to fail all the time.
0: Well, that
1: was before the cloud. The cloud's more <laughs> reliable, Peter. Yeah, uh, maybe you can make that a PFR, Jonathan, to uh, mock a
0: backup failure
2: Stub in a f- yeah there you go
0: <laughs> I figured the, the only way to do it was to start um, like five concurrent snapshots at the same volume and then and then the, the sixth one will fail
2: but that's, just that's, turn off the box halfway through that's, it doesn't help <laughs> It doesn't help. (laughs) Nope. It's 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 just too good. It's too good. Too good. AWS Direct Connect announces resiliency toolkit to help customers order resilient connectivity to AWS.
1: You know, there's a company called Comcast. They make cable modems. And there's another company called AT&T. And they also make internet service. And if you call both of them and you say, I like a circuit in my data center, I get two of them. And they're different paths. And that's resiliency. So... I mean, that's all the service is offering to you. I just saved you a bunch of time and effort. So you're welcome.
2: Now I see what I've been doing wrong. I've been calling Comcast the whole time and telling them I'm Yeah, I so want. You,
1: call, you call Comcast for both sides. Both you, sides. This won't work for you ever. <laughs> uh, you it. Know, it only works, it works fine until Comcast goes down. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's actually kind of funny this one because uh, we, in our very complicated uh, network, we have multiple data centers. And then we have Direct Connects at two of the data centers, but we only have a single link. Uh, at each of those data centers and then if we have a failure one of those links of the direct connect we actually can route the traffic uh, on the our backbone uh, to the other aws region and then that would access the rest of the aws Uh, but every time we do a well connected review it comes up as the number one finding like your uh, Direct Connect is not uh, highly available and resilient. And I'm like, yeah, because it's designed that way, dorks. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, they don't, underst- right. don't understand that one at all. And they're like, you should, you should do a well-architected review of this. I'm like, why? So you can tell me that I'm missing a link that I already know I'm missing that I did on purpose to save me a lot of money?
2: AWS Snowball Edge now supports offline software updates for Snowball Edge devices in air-gapped environments.
1: You know, I, I never realized that people apparently buy snowballs and just leave them in their data center forever, air gaps, so they need to be updated. It seems like something that you would be very transient, wouldn't you? you? You order the snowball, you copy your thousand petabytes to the fleet of snowballs you bought, and then you ship it back. And then wouldn't Amazon update it? Why, why do I have to do it in my data center uh, unless I'm holding it on for too long, which I, I guess that's what people do.
2: I'm envisioning five and a quarter inch floppy.
0: <laughs> One million of them. Yeah, <laughs> That's funny.
2: <laughs> Insert next disk. Insert next disc.
0: <laughs> I've still got some of my original, uh, like Dell computer USB sticks from when when uh, USB memory sticks were were new, and they're like sixteen meg each. <laughs> oh yeah, the Snowball Edge was like Amazon's solution for uh, mobile Amazon data center at whatever location you want because you know they they tied outposts to a local region, and it doesn't work offline. But the Edge you can deploy anywhere, you know, in, in a in a container with a power supply, and you've got. Portal, Amazon data. center. But
1: still, the point is that you're doing large scale data transfer in a in a account or on a cruise ship or whatever else. Um, eventually, the data still has to go back to AWS. So eventually, you're going to ship it back to them. So I I just don't know how long people hold these onto these that they need to worry uh, about software updates.
0: Offline. Maybe maybe they just found that people wanted a different use case for what they what they imagined when they made the product. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like they like get the a... thing
2: and then they're trying to load data and it's not working and they get that. Tech support team is like, oh, you need a software update. And they're like, huh? I'm not shipping it back to you to wait for the software update. Send me the software. Uh,
0: this kind of screams of uh, military use cases, I think, for air gapped to snowballs to, pr- yeah, to provide maybe. AI and compute You know, in the middle of nowhere. It's,
1: it's definitely interesting, too. I wonder um, you know, how many people are like, hey, I need storage in my data center. I'll just call Amazon and get a snowball. And they just pay for it yeah. forever.
0: I'm gonna compare the price of that with with a NetApp or something, honestly, and see quite how they uh, Hmm. quite they compare.
2: Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose adds cross-account delivery to Amazon Elasticsearch Service
0: lawsuit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But the I think the Amazon Elasticsearch Service was with a partnership with Elasticsearch, so is that also under the
0: lawsuit? Oh no, um, Elasticsearch claims that it was never a partnership. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I would think this makes sense that you would want to have, uh, if you're using Kinesis uh, as your logging transport layer, that you'd like to be able to send multiple uh, accounts to one single Elasticsearch service. So there you go. I think I saw a blog post actually earlier somewhere ranting about how awful the Amazon Elasticsearch service is. I'll, I'll find a link to that and, and post it. There you that's go. A pretty good Medium uh, blog post I saw this morning.
0: A good Medium blog post. Wow. That's a first.
1: There's many that are good. <laughs> Just you know, Medium is a
0: terrible platform. So They should have called it Mediocre. <laughs> now, ooh. Ooh. ooh.
1: That's a damn.
2: Medium. <laughs> Application load balancer and network load balancer add new security policies for forward secrecy with more stringent protocols and ciphers.
1: And if you talk about it, they'll have to shoot you.
2: Yeah, I just told you. Now I have to kill you.
1: I don't know why this is newsworthy. Like, I'm glad you added new security policies that are more secure and more stringent. It seems like something you should do as a cloud provider.
2: That's what they do. They they make news. They make uh, announcements about tiny, teeny, tiny little features.
1: All right, Peter, what's the score?
2: So I had this one neck and neck. Exactly half the points went to Jonathan and exactly half the points went to Justin but Jonathan's half was half full.
0: Yay. <laughs> <Wow>. All right.
1: <laughs> All right. I have marked you down, Jonathan. It's 11 to 15. Excellent. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that scoring there. That but was pretty so, fun.
2: Yeah. Come on. That was perfect. Excellent. Very nice.
1: Again, check us out on the uh, Roaring Elephant podcast if you want to hear us talk about cloud, uh, pod, weather for report, as they're calling it. And then, of course, my YouTube uh, video and uh, tweet at us uh, at if you'd like to uh, tell us what you think about either the Roaring Elephant podcast or the uh, my YouTube video. And you can tell me how awful it is. It's fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, anyways, and we'll see you guys uh, all next week here at the Cloud Pod. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. Good night.
2: Thank you. Good night.
1: And that is the Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the Cloud Pod or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions.